sure the Lord was going to return in their lifetime. In fact, any minute they expected him to come, that a lot of them quit their jobs. And they uh, sat around singing Kumbaya instead of serving. And, and that's why Paul wrote there in verse 6, uh, for them for, uh, to keep away from those who were doing that, those who were idle. And that's why Paul added in verse 10, for even when we were there with you, Paul started the church there in Thessalonica, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now, we, we've got to say right up front, because this verse, these verses are often used to, out of context and to say the wrong thing. In fact, this was one of my mother's favorite verses to quote to me. The one who is unwilling to work will not eat. When she gave me some chores to do, when she asked me to wash the dishes and make the bed and stuff like that, you know, this was one of the verses that she quoted to me, all right? But, and that was okay. In fact, that was probably good for me. But one thing we should not do, brother and sister in Christ, is this, use this verse to beat up, to judge the unemployed. See, you see unemployed people. And, and you know, we're tempted to judge. We don't know the whole story. Th this verse doesn't say those who can't work shouldn't eat. Paul's referring to people who could and should be, but they weren't. And there may be some of you here today, you can't work. You can't find a job. And, and that's not the kind of situation you want. This that's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is referring to Christians who could work, but didn't, and decided to live on others and let others do the job. And friend, God created us to work. <laughs> Adam and Eve, it was a paradise, but it involved work. They were to take care of the garden, take care of the animals. They were to work. It's good for us. And some people say, well, Jesus, I mean, didn't he feed people when they came, you know? You know, it's very interesting. You know the story about where Jesus fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6? He fed them because they hadn't thought this through and, and brought food with them or whatever, and he fed them that day. But it's very interesting. The next day they showed up expecting another meal, and he didn't feed them at all. He sent them home. He wasn't going to, you know, subsidize slackers or provide people with an eternal welfare state. Because we're called to work. We're called to take responsibility for us and for our family. And so here in First and Second Thessalonians, it's telling us how to get ready for Christ's return. You and I need an exit strategy. Do you have one? Do you have an exit strategy for the day that you die? 
So we'll go through some of these principles that he gives us here. Verse 6, what we've talked about. He says, don't let the idle and the disobedient drag you down. And, and verse 6, it's really kind of startling. He says, I'm commanding this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He used, the word command is the word that a general would use to give orders to his troops. This wasn't a suggestion. It's a command. But I want you to know something else. Paul didn't say to kick him out of the church. <laughs> he said to set some distance between yourself and them. And why? Do you know that... <laughs> You know, there are a lot of contagious diseases in the world. You know what's one of the worst, most contagious diseases? Laziness. Let me give you an example. You come home from work. You've had that uh, home repair job that you know you should do, okay? And you decide, I'm going to do it today. I am going to do it as soon as I get home. Well, you come home. And your family's lying on the couch, eating potato chips, watching media box. Now, what are you going to be tempted to do? What are you most likely going to do if everybody else is doing it? Laziness, see? And it's, it's, it can be very, very contagious. And, and, you know, we live in a society, we live in a world where laziness, we call it entitlement, you know, is really a major issue uh, with, you know, a large segment of the population not being responsible or not working, if that's the case, then what does that do for the other half it is? It, Congress, president, our leaders, governors, they're dealing with this all the time. And Paul is not just talking about physical work. He's talking about spiritual work. Because, see, that can be a reality, too. For Christians who don't serve, what happens if they don't? Well, they're putting double duty on someone else to do that. Friend, Jesus Christ is coming back again. He is coming to take us out of this world. And I know that you and I, we don't want, when he comes, we don't want him to find us being lazy, not working physically, but not working spiritually. That's an exit strategy. It's going to happen. He goes on, verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Paul's going to say, all right, well, this is the command. I taught you this, but I also modeled it. We were not idle when we, he and Silas, okay, they planted the church. He says, we weren't idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone else's food or eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, Silas and I worked day and night. We labored and toiled so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this. Not because we do not have the right to such help, but to do what? To offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. 
So what's the principle here? What, what should be on our exit strategy? Offer yourself as a model. Let your life be a model for others like Paul. Paul says there in verse 9 that they work night and day, laboring and toiling for Christ and his church. Uh, rather than taking support from the church, Paul decided, he said, we had a right to be supported by you, but I willingly gave up that right because some of you are idle, and I wanted to be a good model. And, and you know, of course, this is an issue that is discussed in seminaries and denominations and so forth. You know, should, should churches pay the pastors, all right? You know, and the one side is, well, no, I mean, they should be like everybody else working, a, you know, a, a day job and, and then, you know, doing their ministry evening and weekends, okay? And then other churches say, well, no, that's not good because, you know, after doing all that, they won't have much time or energy to, to do the work of the ministry in a church. So, you know, there's that debate, and I am so glad for which side you voted on. I appreciate that deeply. I just want to tell you every time I get uh, a, a paycheck, I just thank God for you. I thank God, okay? Uh, but anyway, there, there's that issue, okay? And it really comes down to the situation. There's not a right or a wrong. It's what's best. It's what God would have us do. But Paul's saying, hey, I knew it was best. I got supported by other churches, but I knew when I came to you it was best that I worked myself. As a tent maker, that's what he did. Because I wanted to be a model. And I would willingly give up a right that I have for the sake of someone else's spiritual life. And that's a biblical principle. Are we willing to give up rights? Rights that we have for the sake of others. Offer yourself as a model like Paul, like Jesus. <laughs> you know, would, did Jesus work hard? Yeah. First as a carpenter until he was 30 years old, then he began his ministry. And in John chapter 5 and verse 17, he said, My Father in heaven is always working, and so am I. And so am I. Jesus worked hard. In fact, friend, do you know that right now, while we're sitting here in this nice uh, air-conditioned, comfortable place, do you know that Jesus is working for you right now? What did, what did he tell his disciples at the Last Supper? He told him he was leaving. He told him he was going away. He said, I'm ascending to the Father. But what was he going to do, uh, do there? Go up and twiddle his thumbs? He said, no, I am going to what? Prepare a place for you. I'll be working out God's plan. I'll be getting it all ready. I'll be preparing a paradise for those who follow me. And friend, if you've accepted Christ, you're in that, that number. Offer yourself as a model. Paul did. Gave up right. Jesus did. Gave up his rights as God. But see, work is what God created us for. Work is good for us. It, it's also healthy for us. You know, there's a significant number of people who when they retire, they die shortly thereafter. 
Yeah. I'm not trying to say anybody retired here, you, you know, you're about ready to conk off. No, because those of you, you're doing worthwhile things. See, it's, it's not the, the, the job, the specific job we have. It's are we, ser- are we working? Are we doing worthwhile things? Are we serving the Lord? Are we serving others? Verse 11. Paul's going to give us another reason why it's so important for us Christians not to be idle, to be all wrapped up in ourselves and not serving and working for Christ and for others. Verse 11. We hear that <clears throat> some among you are idle and disruptive. See, uh, disruptive follows being idle. What, what, what's that... Uh, the phrase is about being idle. It's the devil's workshop or something like that. Yeah. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and get back to work and earn the food they eat. And the second principle is this, verses 11 and 12. Do, this is our exit strategy, get busy. Do get busy serving Jesus so you won't be a busy body. Have you ever thought about that? That if we're not busy doing the things God created us for, if we're not busy serving the Lord we will probably end up being busy bodies. Why is that? Because, it, see, if we're not focused on the Lord, if we're not talking about Him, what are we going to talk about? Other people. And what are we most likely going to do? We're going to spend our time judging the sins of others. How, how much... Christian, pointing the finger at me here, all right? How much time do we spend talking about the sins of entertainers, athletes, politicians? A lot. It upsets us. It's not right. But see, when we talk about the sins of others, we're just trying to, it makes us feel better about ourselves. That's what being a busybody is. You're, you're focused on the, the wrongs of others instead of the rights of what Christ has called us to do. Get busy serving the Lord so you don't become a busybody. Verse 13 is for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what's good. Now, <laughs> do, do our bodies get older? Do they tire more quickly? Do, as we age, are there things that we find that we can't do anymore? Of course. But we should never give up doing good, serving Christ, serving His church. We may not be able to do all we used to, but we need to be doing something. We should stay active and busy serving the King who's returning for us. 
in, in Christian. I just want to say, if you are you looking for a ministry? Are you looking for a way to serve the Lord? That's what we were created to do. That, that's going to be the reward in, in being in heaven, knowing we serve Christ. Look for a ministry that you and uh, your, your spouse, if you're married, or your family, that you can get busy serving Jesus because that's what really matters. Don't be physically or spiritually idle because if you don't use your time to serve Jesus, you're going to use your time on something else like worry like fear, like gossip, like bitterness, like lust. We were, we were created, we were designed to serve our Creator and our coming King. And it makes life worthwhile. Verse 14, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Don't associate them with them. Why? So that they hope feel ashamed. So they'll think about their life. And are they being productive? Yet. <laughs> okay, do that. All right. But do not regard them as an enemy. Warn them as you would a fellow believer. Well, <laughs> Paul said it again. He, he went back to that point that he made there in verse 6. Don't hang around with people who are lazy or you'll become like them. And, and again, Paul wasn't telling us to be cruel or uncaring for needy people. Just the opposite. Those who should be working, those who should be serving, we should be caring enough to be an example to them. Don't treat them as an enemy. Treat them as a brother or sister that you love, a brother and sister in Christ. Do be a model to them so you won't be a judge over them. Be a model so you won't be a judge. Christian, Jesus Christ is coming soon. It could be today. I mean, that's how we're, that's how we're supposed to think. That's the reality that we are supposed to live. Jesus Christ could come today. There's nothing that has to happen before Jesus Christ comes again. And that's why we need our exit strategy. <laughs> Leaving this earth and your entrance strategy into life with Christ, which begins now but continues forever and ever. And he addresses that here in just the last three verses, verse 16. Now, having said all that, now, here's the conclusion of what I've written here in these two books. Now, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. <laughs> May the Lord give you peace in, at, at all times, all the time, no matter what you're going through, in every way, in every circumstance or situation. Listen, you're going to go through problems. You're going to have difficulties, but you can still have peace in the midst of those problems. The Lord will be with all of you. So the, our entrance strategy, do, do this. Do enter into the peace of the Lord, even as you face the problems in the world around you. You're not going to stop the problems. But you can have peace. Because Jesus 
is the Lord of peace, verse 16 tells us. He's the Prince of Peace. That was a name given to him by the prophet Isaiah, the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the only one who can give you real peace. In John 14, 27, Jesus, again, he's talking to the disciples the night before he's going to be crucified. He says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you a peace that the world gives. It's a peace the world can't take away. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace, the peace of the Lord, it, it surpasses our understanding. We can be going through the, the worst kind of situation, but still we know that God is on the throne, that Jesus Christ loves us and he's coming back for us and he is going to keep his promise to work all things together for good to them that love God. This isn't the final chapter. His promise, his promise to us. We need to know that. And and the Thessalonians, I mean, they really needed to hear that. Why? Because they were being persecuted. And, And we aren't. I mean, you know, we get... Uh, we get upset when uh, we think that, you know, our country, our world is denying Christian rights, and, and that's certainly on the uptick, okay. But here in America, we're not being persecuted like they were in Thessalonica. But you still got problems. Life's loaded with them. And those problems, they can rob us of our peace unless we trust in the Prince of Peace. And friend, I don't know all the things you're going through. I know a lot of the things you're going through today. But I don't know all. But friend, no matter what you're going through, you can have peace. Some of you desperately need that kind of peace today caught up in stress and anxiety and fear and problems and difficulties and challenges and families and turmoil. Man, this world full of problems. In this world, you will have tribulation. The peace that Jesus gives, it's not the absence of problems. See, we think, you know, if we have peace, well, oh, I don't have any problems. No, it's peace in the presence of problems. It's the promise of God that he'll work all things together for good to those who love God, to those who do his will rather than just doing what we want. I read uh, read this week about a doctor who, uh, while his patients were waiting in the waiting room, he gave them a survey. And one of the questions was, what's your number one wish? 67% of his patients, two out of three, said their number one wish was peace, peace of mind. And see, a lot of them were facing physical issues and the fear of that. They wanted peace. And friend, when we admit we're a sinner and when we follow our Savior, (laughs) our Savior, our King, who's coming back for us to usher us into the gates of God's kingdom. When we're following him, when we're doing what he tells us to do, we have peace. 
when we disobey God, we're you know, actually rebelling against him. And, and you can't have peace with God if you're fighting against God. But when we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord, then Romans 5.1 says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he came. That's why he's coming again. Peace. Verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And that's important. He started with grace. He ends with grace. Why? Because we need grace desperately. We need grace. All of us are sinners. All of us have disobeyed God. All of us have disqualified ourselves from earning the right to go to a perfect place. That's why God sent his son. That's grace. All of it, we don't deserve for God to say, all your sins are forgiven. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We can't earn our way there. God loves us so much. He sent his son to die in our place. He took our punishment. And that's grace. That's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we admit our sin and follow Jesus as our Savior and Lord, then we have that peace. We have peace when we do what the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, tells us to do. And we get ready for his return. What's your exit strategy? Verse 6 tells us the final thing. Do everything you've been taught to do. Do everything the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to do in his word. That's our exit strategy. Very simple. Just do everything Jesus tells you to do. I read about a woman who uh, went with her husband to the doctor. And uh, when the checkup was over, the doctor met privately with a wife and said, uh, that your husband is suffering from a very serious stress disorder. And if you don't do what I ask uh, you to do, uh, he, he's not going to make it. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up every morning and fix him a healthy breakfast. Uh, and then make him a nutritious lunch too. He needs that. And a, and a dinner as well every night. And please be pleasant all the time. Don't try not to burden him with your chore, with chores and discuss problems. Yeah, you'll need to do most work around the house. You know, and if you're willing to do that, then he may recover. And as they were driving home, the husband asked the wife, well, what did the doctor say? And she said, he said, you're going to die. I trust this is a fictitious story. I'm sure it is. See, the wife wasn't <laughs> willing to do. She didn't want to do everything the doctor asked her to do. 
in all eight chapters of uh, First and Second Thessalonians, Paul was pleading with the Christians, do everything the Lord Jesus asks us to do. That's how you get ready. That's a perfect exit strategy, leaving this earth, entrance strategy for going to be with him, getting, getting ready. If Jesus said it, it's the best thing we could do. Do it. If Jesus said it, yeah, it might be hard. You, may, the, 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 you, you tell yourself you can't do it. He'll enable you to do it. Do everything the Lord teaches us to do. Are you ready? Are you ready? Or are you harboring some sin in your life? Friend, it's not worth it. It may give you some temporary pleasure. You don't want it. You don't want it. Have you not forgiven someone? And the bitterness is just growing in you and poisoning you and poisoning your life. You know what God tells us to do. Are you doing it? Get ready. Get ready to meet Jesus because he's coming back. He's returning for those who accept him as their Savior, who follow him as their Lord, who do what he asks us to do, who obey him. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Oh, God, you and you alone know the future. Not just the future of the world. You know our future. You know everything. You know what's best for us. You know what's terrible for us. You give us your your will. It gives your instruction. It gives your teaching here and in your word in black and white. You give us your spirit to, to guide us and to show us the way and, to, and, and also to, to convict us of sin, to, to warn us. No, 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 don't do that, God. You give us the power to do things we can't do ourselves. When we're caught in sin, you, you, don't, you don't turn your back on us. You keep speaking to us, keep pleading with us to forsake that sin and, and turn and follow Jesus. Oh, God, we praise you. This is all possible because of your great love that you sent your son 2,000 years ago to die on a cross. A man that was perfect, the son of God coming to die in our place, hanging there naked on a cross, being beaten, being whipped, being nailed to a cross, being mocked, being humiliated for what he did, no, for what I did. Oh, God, how could we ever thank you enough? How could we ever doubt that you really do love us?
love us. How could we doubt that, 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 that Jesus who came the first time and rose from the dead is going to keep his promise to come the second time? And that's what our life is about. And we worked on our entrance strategy, but dear Lord, we need to think about our exit strategy too. And we need to be doing what you've asked us to do. And God, we need your strength and your help. And you'll give it, and I praise you. And dear Lord, we've gone through this, these two books the last uh, eight or ten weeks. What a shame it would be that it has no impact on our life. That we just keep living like we have been not doing everything you've asked us to do. God, in everything you ask us to do, you give us the strength and the power to do it because you love us. And, and dear friend, uh, if Jesus did come today, he, he can. Would he be coming for you? Was there a day when you just realized, I can't earn my way to heaven, I'm a sinner. I, I've rebelled against God. I need a Savior. There's a day that you did that and you were willing to turn from, a, from doing what you wanted to do to doing what Jesus asked you to do. Are you following him? Are you following the world or just following your own plans? And are you following Jesus? He's coming for his followers. For those serving him. You've never asked Jesus into your life as your Savior, as your Lord, as your King. Do it today because God wants to send His Son back soon for you, for all of us. And, and Christian, God wants to send His Son back for the people in our lives. And if they don't know Jesus yet, He's given us more opportunities to live it before them and tell them about Jesus. Help us, God. Lord, we thank you. We, could, we can't thank you enough for your love. It'll take all of eternity to try. <laughs> and we have that privilege because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.